Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in the night and perished in a night. So may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? Amen. Thanks, Phil. Good morning. How are we all doing? I'm Johnny. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we are concluding our series on Jonah. And so uh, you got to read a little bit, and... That's a pretty odd ending to a story, isn't it? Uh, leaves you like, wait, should there be more? Did they miss a page or two? Um, but we're going to dive into this a little bit and figure out what does this even mean for us um, as followers of Jesus. And that's what we've been kind of focusing on this fall as we've looked at the role of Scripture in our discipleship or our transformation as we follow Jesus. And we've used this story of Jonah, which is a page and a half, to kind of work through how we can use some of these tools to apply to our life. And so this is, uh, we've titled this More Than a Hungry Whale, all right? And hopefully you've kind of got that, but, oh, they, they put the wrong slide up. Can you put the next slide up? Oh, there we go. That's the right slide. Um, some of you are a little confused. Uh, I graduated from Ohio State, so, yes. Anyways, um, <laughs> just a little bit, right? Just a little bit. I mean, I feel like I can make some little joke about signs, and I just won't go there, all right? We'll just, we'll let it play on the field, and hopefully both teams just have fun, okay? Um, <laughs> just kidding. But here we start this chapter four, this ending of the story, the beginning of chapter four. It, it starts this with this odd thing, and, and, and if you've been following along, we, we've had this story of Jonah, who, who's been called and asked to go to preach to the city. And instead of preaching to the city, Jonah, he, he gets on a ship. He goes in the opposite direction of where Nineveh is. And in the midst of this, he's on a boat. And God sends a storm, and the storm comes. And yet Jonah is, like, asleep on the ship. And uh, then uh, the sailors, they like, wait, this is, this is a God's doing. Find out it's because of Jonah. And so Jonah's like, just throw me overboard. Jonah gets thrown overboard. And uh, what? A fish comes and eats Jonah. Uh, but this, this fish is not sent to destroy Jonah, but to what? Rescue Jonah. 
And, and so uh, after three days, Jonah gets vomited onto land. God calls him again to go to Nineveh. He does it. He does a really bad job at preaching, um, which gives me a lot of hope, doesn't it? Uh, you know, he gives a five-word sermon, and what happens to the Ninevites? They repent, and they turn to God, and God relents of this disaster that he was going to, to give them. And to be honest, I mean, that's where the story should have ended, right? Is this great conclusion and uh, a celebrate. See, if you're just obedient, God can use you and people can come to know him. Yet we got this weird thing about a grumpy guy and we got plants and we got worms and we end with this question. And uh, it seems odd, but again, like I said, we're going to dive into this a little bit. So we start off with, it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. That word angry actually means to, to get hot. Anybody hot when they get angry? Like, just man. I want you to think about, you think about a time, the last time you got angry. When did you get really angry and hot? Hopefully it wasn't this morning coming to church. Um, tends to happen, you know, with kids and marriage. Anyway, um, <laughs> when's the last time you got angry, got hot? I was thinking about this, uh, because here's, here's how I'm going to talk about this with, when it comes to anger. I think there's three key things, uh, or actually four, and again, this is like, this is just my own observations, is uh, there's a source of your anger, there's a meaning that you make from your anger, uh, which often you increase some hormones in there, and then there's a response to your anger, right? You guys see the progression often is there's a source of your anger, there's some meaning you make, and then uh, there's a response. And so I was thinking about me last time I got really hangry, really hot. It, uh, the source was this guy. I'm going to show him here. Uh, this is my dog, Homer. <laughs> so this is my dog, Homer. Uh, he's a Vizsla. We got him over the summer. And uh, uh, yeah, he, uh, he's for sale if you guys want him. Um, <laughs> you know, just a small rehoming fee. Uh, just kidding. But uh, I, I came home one day, he was just out for a little bit, and uh, I found in the yard uh, some of my newer Ariat boots, these boots are like 120 bucks or something like that, and found them uh, chewed to pieces. Um, also found my Adirondack chair that I built, he had chewed the arm on that, he dug multiple holes, he got in the trash, he was a disaster. And... Uh, and I was pretty upset, pretty hot, if you would say. And the meaning is, man, that's $120. I don't own my boots. Uh, like, this dog literally destroys everything. Uh, there's been Barbies destroyed. Uh, he gets a little too friendly when uh, guests come over, if you know what I mean. And I'm realizing we made a mistake. And I'm stuck, because this is why I'm stuck. This is the next slide, is uh, my kids love him, and here I am with Homer, and we're just going to have to figure this out. Now, he's gotten better, all right? I've come a long way. He's still somewhat young, uh, but my response then was that newly chewed boot was then chucked at Ben Dog, and um, it's all right. You don't have to call PETA. It's okay, um, but there was a response. Again, I want you to think about the last time you got mad, you got hot. What was the source? Don't elbow your neighbor, all right? That's probably not a good time. When was the last time you got mad or hot? 
And again, this is, I know I get it. I use this, silly, this dog, and I know some of you have gone through some stuff, some injustice that really has caused some true anger. Whether it's discrimination, whether based on your gender, or even your race, or uh, maybe there's an injustice at work or school or bullied, uh, we've all gone through some hard stuff. And, and it's not necessarily anger is the problem, right? It's often the response, isn't it? It's how we respond when, um, you know, when we get anger, angry. And what we're going to look at in this story is what happens when that source of your anger is actually God. And I know some people have been there, right? Where their source of their anger, of why they are mad, is God himself. That it's not a matter of, it's not a dog, it's not your spouse, it's not your three-year-old who spilt milk on themselves right as you need to go to church, it's not the neighbor who mows his lawn at 7 a.m., it's God, right? It's the creator of the heavens and earth. What do you do uh, when God is that source of anger? And I know for some people, I know I've talked to people, I've sat down across from people, and, and they do. They, they get mad at God as the source of their anger. And so we see this with Jonah, that God is greatly displeased, and he's hot angry. So we're going to read here, what, how can we learn from this? What can we grow from this? Is this idea, what does this mean for us? Uh, because hopefully you'll see what this means for us. Maybe you're not are mad at God, but how do we navigate just what we're going to live into as followers of Jesus? So I'm going to read again. I'm going to repeat this, what Phil said. And in this version, I'm going to actually re- read out of the New American Standard Bible. It's a little different. It's a little more word-for-word translation because I want to pull some words and kind of get some meaning. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. The little translation is, it was evil to Jonah a great evil, and there was heat anger to him. So not only was God just displeased with God, is this what just happened to Nineveh, Jonah is viewing it through the lens of that's just evil. So the meaning he's making, right, he's, he's got the source of anger in God, the meaning he's making is what you just did, God, is evil. You're not a God, you're not a good God. You're not a God who can be trusted because this is evil. You relented judgment on people who deserve disaster. These are my enemies. If you were here last week, Wendy talked about the Ninevites and just that they were a cruel people who were known for their violence and their, the, the innocent blood that was shed. And so, so Jonah is seeing what God's done and, and seeing his relenting of this disaster and going, wait, that is evil. Do you guys get this idea? I mean, in some aspects, I know Jonah was not the greatest prophet, but we got to get to this idea. There is a little bit of this that we can resonate with. When our view of what we think God should do doesn't align with this, and how should we approach this? And I like this commentary because it helps explain a little bit of this. See, it wasn't so much that, um, so Jonah, he, he declares God's goodness, and he, he repeats this this thing from Exodus 34, that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in mercy, and one who relents of disaster. Yes, that's that God, but I want that God for me, not my enemies. You guys get that? So this merciful God, I'm good with that God if it's for me, but if it's for the people that I dislike or hate, I don't like that part of that God. You see the, you see the tension that he relates. Uh, this uh, uh, commentary, his name's um, Kerry Philip, or Philip Kerry. He says this We must be clear when jo- what Jonah gets wrong. It's not as if we should never desire justice. 
It is good news when an oppressor, uh, oppressor is toppled, the terrorist caught, and the torturer brought to justice. The Lord does indeed take vengeance on his enemies. And Nahum says this of Nineveh later on in, in Nahum chapter 1, verse 2. For he is the enemy of all who destroy his world. But the great danger is that instead of simply rejoicing at the vindication of, um, of the oppressed, we self-righteously identify ourselves as the oppressed, taking pity on ourselves and not on others. In our imaginations, the Lord becomes a weapon in our campaign to destroy our enemies, an instrument of our own revenge rather than the righteous judge of all the earth. But the biblical theme of God's repentance concerning evil means that the God of Israel is more inclined to save his enemies than to destroy them. And so we get this response from, from God, and, and he says this. He says uh, this, uh, do you have a good reason to be angry, Jonah? Is your source of anger, is your meaning of the anger, is that, is that a good reason? Is that reality? And so just like, you know, this, you ever get hot and angry and like your, your loved one tells you, just don't be angry. Is that, is that, a really, is that really helpful, you know, sometimes? But God poses a question to Jonah. He says, is this anger, is this good? Is this actually going to lead you to a good response? So we're going to keep reading in the story because uh, this seems a little confusing. I don't, I don't know uh, if you do this when you're angry, um, but let's, let's just read what Jonah does. He, uh, he left the city, and he sat down east of it, and then he made a shelter, which means he made a little tent for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. Now, I don't know if you do this, like, you get mad. I'm going to pull out my Walmart Ozark tent, and I'm going to set up in it and pout a little bit. Like, what is going on? Mostly, you know, camping is the source of your anger, right? If you're a camper. Like, backing in, right? Um, never mind. What's going on here? And what we've tried to show you in this, uh, in this whole series on Jonah, what Phil talked about, is there's a lot of links that are happening throughout uh, the Old Testament scriptures. There's these stories that actually point to other stories to help give you an idea. And I actually want to try to get into these because, again, at the surface, this feels like a really weird story. But there's one major link, hyperlink, that we've talked a lot about, and it's the story of Cain and Abel. If you're familiar with that story, um, this is the first story post the fall of the world, and, and this is the first humans that have to leave the Garden of Eden and God's uh, dwelling. And so we have this story of Cain and Abel, and I'm going to read it just really quickly. Um, and it says this in Genesis 4. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offspring, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his face was gloomy. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face gloomy? If you do well, will your face not be cheerful? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. So in this response, God gives Cain this warning. Hey, you're very hot, right? You're very angry. Watch out. Sin is lurking at the door. And if you know the story, what happens? Cain kills Abel. His innocent blood cries out to God. 
is similar, like this innocent blood in Nineveh, cries out to God. So God goes to Cain. Cain, what did you do, man? You killed your brother? And so God proclaims this punishment over Cain. And yet in this punishment, God provides this provision that says, hey, I will still protect you. There will be people who will come out to get you, but I will still provide my covering, my shelter, my protection over you, no matter, you know what, like, I will protect you. But what does Cain do? I want you to see some patterns here. If you you continue on in, in, in Genesis 4, verse 16, it says, Cain left the presence of God, settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. See the similarities. Cain built a city and named the city Enoch after the name of his son. So what, what is this? So, jo- so Cain, he has this, this proclamation of protection. I'm going to protect you. Does he stay in that protection? No. He goes east. He builds himself his own city of protection and says, I can't trust the protection of God. I'm going to create my own system, my own way of protecting myself. What do cities have? They have walls. They have these ability to, to protect themselves. And so this is the very first city. Which, guess what? That city leads to other cities, leads to the great city of what? Nineveh. And so you guys see the little pattern here. Can you see the, the imagery here of Cain and Abel, or Cain and of Jonah? This should, this should like see, okay, something's going on here. The author is trying to tell us something. Also, is trying to show us something in the story of Jonah. And yet, so, uh, so Jonah, we says, he builds this little tent or this little shelter. I'm going to give you a little bit of background because this is something, I don't, again, it's not part of our, our, our culture. We're, we're, you know, several thousand years distance from this culture to understand this. But the Jewish people, every single year, had a festival where they built their own little shelters. It was a week-long celebration. It was a week-long of Sabbath. So it was a week, no work, it was party, seven days, right? And they got tents, they got, uh, they, there's, there's, there's feast. It's a way to celebrate God's provision as they were in the desert. And they provided themselves uh, ways to just remember God's provision, how he provided. And so what do they do is they build these nice temporary tents, but they would, they would uh, adorn these shelters with branches and flowers. It, it was to be this mini little Eden. This, this garden of how God provided for them. And so they would, sh- they would stay in these shelters. They would party in these shelters. And so it's, it's really interesting that Jonah decides to build his own little shelter, his own little uh, place of refuge, his own little protection. And he just waits and watches. But let's keep reading, because that's not the end of it, right? Um, and so, um, where am I at? Here we go. But at the same time, the Lord designated a plant And it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to relieve him of his discomfort. And Jonah was overjoyed about the plant. So we got we got two little shelters going on, right? Uh, I use this imagery to just imagine like uh, this is true miracle growth, all right? And miracle comes up and provides this extra shelter over Jonah. So he's got this sweet plant shelter that he's really pumped about, and uh, he has his other shelter. And so we have this these tail of two shelters. Again, what does this all even mean, Johnny? I mean, come on. I want us to, this is really, this is actually really genius of what the author's trying to do. He's trying to show Jonah, you have two options. You have two choices. 
You can live under my shelter, under a reality where I'm your shelter, or you can keep living a life where you provide your own shelter and protection. You can choose, Jonah, how you want to live. What reality do you want to live under? Do you want to live under a world or a city or a place where it's dependent on you to protect yourself, to provide for yourself, to create your own little Eden for yourself? Or you can choose to live under my Eden, my protection, my shelter. And so there's this unique phrase that, that the reason God gave this plant is to relieve him of his discomfort, which that seems really weird because he already has a shelter. It seems like that should be good. Why would God give another one in this discomfort? Well, the little translation of discomfort is actually his evil. You could translate discomfort as evil. So it's, it's to be a shade upon his head, deliver him from his evil. What's his evil? Is I'm going to choose to live under my own shelter and not God's. I want you to read this psalm. This is what God's heart for, for not only Jonah, but it's for all of us. I want you to see the similarities in the stories. Hopefully this is clicking for you. It would be helpful if you nod, okay? Um, Psalm 121 says this, The Lord is your protector. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not beat down on you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time and forever. You guys see it? You guys seen it a little bit? It's this tale of two shelters. Jonah, what kind of shelter are you going to live under? Is it going to be a shelter that you provide? Or are you going to live under my shelter, my reality? If you live under my reality, I will heal you of this evil where you think I'm evil. You, you, I'll heal you of this, of this evil that if you continue on this, it's going to lead to what? Another city? of violence, and really the issue, the root issue of Nineveh is the same root issue of Jonah. They're the same. It's self-protection. It's this idea I cannot trust God. And again, we see that what Jonah's evil that God wants to again deliver rescue from him is his refusal to live under the shade or the covering of God in his reality. See, the image of Jonah with two shelters, one made by him and one unprovided by God, tells us he has a choice to make. And it's the same for us. But what happens when we don't choose to live under God's shelter or what he provides? We read on. It says, but God designated a worm. And when dawn came the next day and attacked the plant and it withered. And when the sun came up, God designated a scorchiness wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint. Remember the sun from Psalm 121? And he begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Real quickly, I don't have time to go in through all the imagery, uh, but if you're familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, do you guys remember a time when worms would eat something that God provided that didn't get, well, that wasn't seen as a thankfulness from God or a trust from God? So in the Israelites in the wilderness, they were given what? Manna, right? They were given this substance, and it was literally called bread from what? Heaven. And they were given specific instructions to trust in God, literally, to trust in God's daily bread. And so they could only collect a certain amount of manna, right? And if they chose to try to not trust God, I'm going I'm to load up on some manna. 
just in case, you know, tomorrow God just, like, decides, all right, no manna. So what does he do? If some people loaded up or got more than they should, what happened to it? Worms would eat it. It was this way with those who didn't trust in God's provision. God had a way of using, appointing a worm, of all things, to, to go after the things that we, didn't, we just kind of took for granted or we didn't see that it was actually a gift from God. You guys seen some pictures. You've seen what's happening here. All right? So this is what happens. So, Jonah go, or so God says to Jonah, we're about ready to end this here, this last question. Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? So now the source of anger has changed. The source of anger now in Jonah is a plant, not God. And God asks, do you, is that a good reason? Is that going to do you well? And this is Jonah, his response. Yes, I have good reason to be angry, even to the point of death. He's like over a plant, right? A one-day plant. And he said, this is God's response, you had compassion or you had pity on this plant. You didn't work for it. You didn't cause it to grow. It was a gift. It was a gift that I gave you. It came up overnight and it perished overnight. And this is the key. This is the last question. Should I not have compassion or pity on Nineveh? It's a city that has 120,000 people. Isn't it, is that truly evil? That if I bring disaster upon this city, that it would actually bring me great sorrow? Do you know how much it would hurt me if I would, to, for these 120,000 people, if I come to, to give it of disaster? Do you understand, God, this is my interpretation of God, what God would say? Do you understand how, that, how much sorrow that would bring me? 120,000 people. Do you understand the compassion God has for people? And this is where, uh, like, the Bible amazes me, all right? And, and hopefully through the series you get a little bit of this, that you go, man, I want to dive into this, because uh, even the way the author writes 120,000 is really unique. So uh, you can write 120,000 in Hebrew, but the way the Hebrew author, he actually wants you to do some math. And essentially he does it like, he says it like this, that the city of Nineveh, it's like 12 times 10,000 people. It's actually like, it's like ten, two more than 10. And some of you are like, man, math, Johnny, you're like Hebrew scriptures, now you've added math. I'm out. Can I give you one last little nugget? Again, thank you. Yes, great. <laughs> Anybody know the significance of 12. The Israelite people that was comprised of 12 tribes represented God's people. Is Hey, my, my people are represented in these 12 distinct tribes. So how does God view Nineveh? Into 12 unique groups of 10,000 people. This is God's heart, not just for my people, the Israelites, but I'm a God for all people, all nations. I'm a God who wants to be compassionate, slow to anger to all people, because all people are made in my image. All people possess the ability to, to be a vessel or reflection of me. Is it truly evil, uh, Jonah, that I relented based off their response? Is that truly evil? And then we end with this question. I was just even talking to a staff member there just talking about, man, 
this, this story, I hate how it ends with a question. I want some sort of conclusion. I want to know what Jonah does. I want to know what Jonah says next. But we don't. We don't know how Jonah responds, and actually, it's very intentional why. I like this, how this one commentator, Walter uh, Rauch, says it like this. He says, God's question concludes the book, leaving Jonah's response in the minds of the reader. This lack of closure at the end of the narrative is a liter er, literary device used to involve the reader in the ideological conflict that propels the real plot of the book. It's Jonah's sense of justice versus God's boundless mercy. And the final scene blurs the narrative frame so that the wor world of the text reaches out and envelops the world of the reader, forcing them to ask whose perspective they will adapt, adopt. So the reason the author writes this story is, is not just for Noda, but it's for us, the reader. It's a question like it's posing to you. How will you respond? Are you going to live in Jonah's world? Where you build your own shelter, your own source of protection, your, your own world where God fits your desires and how he should God are you going to live under the shelter of Psalm 121, trusting in his provision, his protection? Are you going to live in that reality where God's God and you're not? And this is, this, this is where we're at. Uh, we have to give a lot of credit to the Bible Project in, in some of this. Um, I, I really don't want you to think I'm smarter than I really am. This is like, you, you can take this, this you can do it, uh, they have classrooms uh, and they do a whole classroom on the book of Jonah. And um, it's been phenomenal uh, for us as a preaching team to go through this. But uh, he ends in this class, they ends with this poem. And it's just so fitting, I think, for all of us to reflect on. Um, it's a poem by Thomas John Carlyle. Um, and he, I'm just going to read it. And Jonah stalked to his shaded seat and waited for God to come around to his way of thinking. And God is still waiting for a host of Jonas and their comfortable houses to come around to his way of loving. That'll preach, right? Um, this is us. This is for us. What kind, of, are you gonna be, what kind of Jonah do you want to be? What reality do you want to live into? Jonas or God's? And that's the same question for us. So this whole focus has been the rule of Scripture in our transformation. It's not hopefully just information. Any information I've been giving you about just giving you some context is not just, well, that's really neat. That's a really cool story. But it's for our formation as followers of Jesus to live under his shelter of reality. It's to live under what he says is best and trusting what he says is best. I'm going to trust in you, God, if this is what reality I can live into. And so when we do this, this, this is going to be a summation of the whole book. But in order to do that, we, we need to transform our view and treatment of our enemies the people who may be a source of our anger, right? Uh, and it may be legitimate of our enemies or, and how we think about those who have done evil to us. If you know the teachings of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, you know that Jesus, uh, and, and part of his uh, summation of, again, his famous teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, this command, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor but hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So just a different way to live under that reality. You can live a reality where you, you protect yourself from your enemies, or you can live in this reality where you actually pray blessing 
for your enemies, to pray deliverance over your enemies, that those would be healed of the evil, whatever they have. It should remind ourselves of God's mercy on us. We should be constantly reminded. If you want a, if you want a, uh, a prescription for self-righteousness, that, that you, in some way, your capacity, if you've earned God's mercy or God's grace, be reminded of constantly of God's mercy and grace over you. Romans 5, right? Uh, just, I'm going to throw some scriptures out here. But God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through, through him from wrath? For if, while we were enemies, we are reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? We got to be constantly reminding ourselves of God's mercy, God's undeserving mercy over us. We don't deserve a lick of it, do we? That'll, that's that's going to keep us from this self-righteousness, that it's, it's on our doing. And lastly, my hope is, when we live in this reality, uh, it leads to a heart for our city. It leads to a heart for Lancaster. It leads looking out and saying, what if Lancaster, I know, doesn't have 120,000 people in it, right? But if we looked at Lancaster as 12 times, whatever, 5,000, that God has a heart for our city, that we be a conduit for his mercy and his grace, his healing, that people would encounter what it would look like to live under the reality of the shelter that he wants for them. And so I hope that you guys will take part in that today, that as we go, as we leave here, you'll just pick up an address and you'll just love on our city uh, in a very easy and practical way. Uh, you'll literally, you'll leave here, you'll drive to our food pantry, which is about seven to eight minutes away. Trust me, I've driven it many times. And you're going to go uh, down Memorial, come in uh, West Wheeling Street. You're going to go through, we have a drive through system. You don't even have to get out of your car at this point. They will load you with everything in it, and you'll load up, you'll take your GPS, plug that address in, and most of the houses that we're delivering to are in the Lancaster area, so you're not going to have to drive to like Pleasantville or Logan or whatever. Uh, these are all be close. You can drop it off if you want to. You can pray a prayer blessing over them if they're so inclined. And then, uh, you know, you can go on your way. It would be a huge help for us. And so it's just a practical way to have a heart for our city. And this is what we want to be as a church. Like, it's, it's, it's not meant just to be this nice little party in here. Uh, it's, it's, it's meant to be a conduit for those outside of the church. So my hope is, again, uh, this fall as we um, pressed and focused on the scriptures, and, and uh, my hope is this is not just the end, right? This is just the beginning for us, for many of us. My prayer is that we would keep pressing into the scriptures so that we again live in his reality. I'm going to have the worship team come up, and I want to end with just a scripture for us to reflect on, to remind ourselves. We started this in September with our Not Return Void series, and I'm just going to read Isaiah 55 over us one more time as a church. And would you do, uh, uh, this, uh, this may seem weird, would you just close your eyes and would you hold your hand out, like just as a way I just, I want to receive this, and I want to just proclaim the word over you as I just read Isaiah 55, verse 3 11. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your 
Your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper what I send it to do.